Hey there, friend. Listen, I want to invite you to join me for an upcoming presentation I'm offering called How to Shift from Willpower to Want Power. If you're tired of feeling like you have the best of intentions with food and weight, only to have it all fall by the wayside by the time your head hits the pillow at night, then this is for you. If you're interested in making permanent weight loss easier and less of a struggle, then this is for you. If you're curious what want power is, which you probably should be, and can't wait to learn how to incorporate it into your journey toward peace and freedom around food, then this is for you. I'll be presenting live twice on Wednesday, May 1st, 2024, at both noon and 7.30 p.m. Central Time Zone. I'll answer your questions live and we'll have a really good time together. But if you can't make either of those days, I'm not going to make you get a replay emailed into your inbox only for it to get lost and never be watched no matter how deeply you want to make time to go through it. Because I mean, honestly, who are we kidding? (laughs) We've all done this, including me. No, instead, we are offering multiple watch parties for several days after the live presentation. So come watch the replay with other doctors and interact in the chat with them and my team. So either way, whether you come live or to a watch party, it will be worth your time for sure. All you have to do is register at katrinaubellmd.com forward slash want power. That's katrinaubellmd.com forward slash w-a-n-t-p-o-w-e-r. See you there. You are listening to the Weight Loss for Busy Physicians podcast with Katrina Ubel, MD, episode number 21. Hey there, it's Katrina. Before we start this episode, I just needed to pop in here to offer you a quick apology and explanation for what you're about to hear. As you're going to hear in the episode, I really, really struggled to get this episode recorded. And when I finally did record it, I thought I was using this good podcast microphone. And instead, I recorded the entire thing using the internal microphone from my computer. So I sound a little bit like I'm in a tin can. And I so very much apologize for that. Once you hear the sound quality and hear the story of what it took to get this episode recorded, you're going to understand why it's like that. So I just want to beg your forgiveness. I don't think it's that annoying or that difficult to listen to. I think it's just fine. But I just want to let you know why it's like that. Okay, enjoy the episode. This is Weight Loss for Busy Physicians, the podcast where busy doctors like you get the practical solutions and support you need to permanently lose the weight and feel better so that you can have the life you want. This is the resource you've been looking for to guide you on the journey to overcome your stress eating and exhaustion and move into freedom around food. Here's your host, Dr. Katrina Ubel. Hello there, my friend. How are you? I'm so glad you're here and that I'm here recording this podcast for you. I just have to tell you (laughs) the kind of day that I have had. What is so ironic about this is that just two days ago, those of you who are on my email list know that I sent out an email about when the day suddenly changes plans, you know, just unexpectedly and rolling with it. Basically, for those of you who don't get my emails, 
what I was saying was that one of my kids was just woke up and was vomiting. And so of course that totally changes your whole day. And I had things planned. And so I was just talking about how in the past I would kind of go into self-pity and martyr mode. And why is it always me who has to deal with this and all that kind of stuff and how I've worked through that. And so things were fine. That child is better. And then my day started today. It's been seriously like, it's just, it's, you know, how you have those days where it's just like, you, you're just laughing. You're like, what else is going to happen today? Because seriously, this is where we're at. So my three-year-old woke up insisting she was sick, which wouldn't be a big deal, except for the fact that my five-year-old had the Mother's Day brunch at school. And we don't have any family in town, like a grandmother or somebody who could step in for me. And so I'm thinking, man, oh man, if I have to stay home with this girl, my kid's going to be the only mother, you know, adultless child at this Mother's Day brunch. How sad. He was so looking forward to it and was, you know, handed me the invitation. It was just so proud of himself. So I didn't really think that she was sick, you know, (laughs) I mean, you got to kind of earn it, right? Like you're not throwing up, you're just whining and rolling around a lot. So I said, how about you just eat some toast and see how you do? And she didn't want to do that. And then finally I convinced her to try it. And then I convinced her to get dressed because I said, well, even if you're sick, you still have to come with me to drop the other kids off. Still hoping deep down that she would, you know, turn it around. So no, I mean, it was like, seriously. (laughs) So this is the deal, you guys. In our house, I mean, this really only happens with said child, my daughter. But if she has a hard time getting into the car in the morning, which... It's actually been quite a bit better lately, but for a while there, it was multiple times a week where she doesn't want to get her shoes on. She doesn't want to get her coat on and all the other stuff. And we live in a cold climate. So, you know, how that goes hat and scarf and mittens and the whole nine. If she doesn't want to get all that stuff on and we need to leave, then I mean, she just gets in the car. Like, I'm kind of like, I don't care if it's 20 below. I don't know how many times it's going to take for you to learn that it's pretty uncomfortable to go out there if you don't have a coat and a hat on. I'm just kind of of the opinion, like, let them learn from experience. If they won't listen to what we say, then they can just learn from the consequences of their actions. And so then, you know, we get her in the car, wrestle her in the car seat, and then she's screaming bloody murder. And that's super uncomfortable for the rest of us, right? So this is what I do. If she's screaming like that in the car and we're pulling out, then I put down the windows in the back because you got to release like some of that sound energy, right? The rest of us are going to go deaf. And then for a long time, I would just sit there and stew on the way to school and be really annoyed. Well, what I do now is I just tell the kids, it sounds like somebody needs a dance party to cheer them up. So I turn on an Amazon music, you know, you guys know that I really like Amazon music. I just find the most popular songs and just start that up. So I start that up cranking the music. And and lately, the first one has been that Justin Timberlake song from the Trolls movie, which is super fun. And so I just crank it. She's wailing. The rest of us are like singing and clapping and snack, <laughs> snapping, <laughs> just getting so into the music. And And she's wailing as we're driving down the street. Like literally people are walking their dogs and looking at my car like, what is going on? So anyway, we got to school. She always ends up calming down about halfway, you know, down the path to school. So we, we get there. She finds out it's one of her friend's birthdays at school, which means I get to have cake for snack. And she's like a cured child, right? Don't you love that? Like she's just like, yay, runs into the classroom. She's totally fine. So that was good, right? And because... 
of this Mother's Day brunch. And then I had something else kind of in that area of town a couple hours later. I thought, you know, Fridays are my podcast recording day. What I'm going to do is record a podcast in the car. Like for sure, this is going to work. Maybe the sound quality will be slightly less than optimal, but it should be fine. I had this all planned out, you guys. I was going to bring my laptop and my microphone and use my phone as a hotspot. Like this was totally going to work. Park the car on some, you know, quiet street somewhere and record this podcast for you guys. So the time came and I move the car to a quiet spot, get everything out, try to connect the computer to the hotspot on my phone, would not connect. I have no idea why. I tried like 16 times. It would not connect. I could not figure out why. And I realized like, this is probably okay. I can still do it without this. This is fine. So I normally record this on GarageBand on my iMac. Well, I've never recorded on my laptop before. So I opened up GarageBand. Well, it had to be loaded because it's a pretty new computer. So I did that. It's telling me it can't load certain things, sound effects. I'm thinking doesn't matter. I'm just recording a podcast. This is fine. So it finally loads up and it looks completely different than the version of GarageBand that I have on my iMac which I know how to use, right? So I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, this is okay. It looks more complicated. I'm sure I can figure this out. (laughs) Totally managing my thinking about this whole thing. And I think, well, you know what? Let me just try test recording something, making sure it sounds good. So I pull out my microphone and I go to plug it into the computer and it's a USB microphone. So it connects into the computer by USB port. And I fail to remember that the new MacBook Pros don't have USB ports anymore. So I have this little adapter thing that I'm supposed to use if I ever need to plug something in to the computer that's a USB plug. And I was just like, oh my gosh, seriously? So there was seriously, there was like no way I could do it. There was no way. And for sure, I needed to use a real microphone for a podcast. If I didn't, you guys would be like, whoa, what is up with the sound quality on this podcast? So it was just like this comedy of errors, right? Like there's no way the universe was like, you will not record a podcast right now (laughs) under any circumstances. It's not happening. And I like to think of myself as being pretty resourceful. And I was like, no, it's all okay. We can work through this. And I'm like, no, we can't work through this. So anyway, I finished the other things I had to do, zipped home. And I'm going to record this for you guys before I hop in the car, drive all the way back to school and pick the kids up again who, thank goodness, we're going to aftercare. So I bought myself a little bit more time to get this done. So seriously, I feel like, okay, it's working. I'm doing this podcast, the podcast that did not want to be recorded. So last week, you may recall, we talked about kids and eating and how to get kids off of snacks and how to improve they're eating so they're not eating all the sugar and flour and stuff that a lot of them tend to do. And when I started putting that podcast together, I started realizing that this was not just a one podcast topic, like for sure, there was more that we needed to talk about. And so I'm going to address a lot of that today on this podcast. But for sure, I want you guys to let me know if there's things that I'm missing. A lot of the things I'm answering today or I'm going to teach you about today is in response to a lot of emails I've gotten. But please, if you are, you know, having other questions, this isn't making sense, then for sure, shoot me an email at Katrina at KatrinaUbelMD.com. Let me know 
what's going on. Okay. So one of the questions that I've gotten and people, you know, reach out to me and ask for me to do podcasts on certain topics. One was about overweight kids and how do we address that? If we're noticing that our kids are becoming emotional eaters, that they're eating out of boredom, they're using food to make themselves feel better. And sometimes pretty young kids, right? Four or five, six years old. And we're really thinking, gosh, you know, it would be so nice if we could help them to deal with this now at this age, rather than way down the line. And so I think that for sure, when if you have a child who is overweight, then you know, it's different than what we talked about last time in the sense that you really need to double down and and work on them eating fewer carbs. Now, I am not a pro, like super low carb person. So I just want to be clear about that. Like definitely some people do great on that. I know many, many people who've done very, very well on that style of eating. For me personally, it does not work with my body. I don't feel good. So I'm not saying that you need to put your kids on a low carb diet. What I'm saying is that they need to eat way, way, way less flour and sugar. So really working on not having a ton of passes, a ton of, oh, it's okay. It's just this one time kind of a thing. You know, what ends up happening with kids is they can become more insulin sensitive very quickly, which is great if they already are a little insulin resistant, or even if they're not, you cut out all the refined stuff you know, all the pretzels and the crackers and all that stuff they love to eat and maybe reduce the fruit a little and add more fat in. And they are going to thin out very quickly. Now, typically with kids, unless they really have a weight problem, we're not actively looking for them to lose weight. We are more looking for them to grow into the weight, so to speak. So they become leaner as they grow more, their body fat percentage reduces. So just from a pediatrician standpoint, that's typically what we're aiming for. We're not looking for kids to be dropping consistent, you know, consistently huge amounts of weight or anything like that. But when some people cut this out, they really do notice that the the kid's body composition just completely changes. I kind of think of it like, you know, there's those people who were drinking regular soda every day and they just stop doing that and they lose like 30 pounds. You know, it's kind of like if you just cut out the snacks and cut out all the kind of carby stuff, that's really just not very nutritionally supportive and cut way back on the sugar and, and really encourage more fat, I think you're going to notice something really similar in your kids if they're having issues with that. And if you have a child who's at a healthy weight and just not eating great foods, and that's, that's different, right? I mean, those kids really probably can have more of that, but you really want to be careful because you see this all the time where people will say, you know, these are like morbidly obese adults who will say, oh, when I was a kid, I was so scrawny and thin. And then you know, my whole family were all overweight as adults or as teens. I, as a teen, I ended up gaining a ton more weight. So I just want you to remember that, that just because your child is at a healthy weight now, if they're eating a whole bunch of flour and sugar, that might end up catching up with them later. And we would like to avoid that, right? So for sure, it's something to think about. I would just say that if your child is already overweight, it is definitely time for the whole family modification, revamping, you know, kind of the family makeover type of thing. So just keep that in mind. Now, one thing I want to offer to you guys is something, a concept that gal that I'm in touch with on Facebook, her name is Rebecca, that she brought up. And you know, in that movie, In and Out, about the different emotions, this mom decided that her daughter was emotionally eating and eating out of boredom and things like that. And so she created a character (laughs) just like that, who 
basically is the little character in her brain who helps her to know if she needs to eat or not. And I think that that is so brilliant. So they named her Frida Fuel. (laughs) And so what this mom taught her daughter, so she's a physician, what she taught her daughter was that when she was thinking she wanted seconds, she needed to consult Frida Fuel and ask Frida Fuel, am I actually hungry? Do I need more food? And I think that's brilliant, you know, or if she's thinking she wants a snack, checking in with Frida. Hey, Frida, how am I doing? Do I really need a snack or can I wait until it's time for the next meal? Just basically creating that character to help the child learn how to tune into their hunger scale, right? Like it's so brilliant and it's made a huge difference for her daughter. Her daughter has made major strides in a relatively short period of time just with this idea of bringing in Frida Fuel. So I wanted to offer that to you guys. It's not my idea. She gets all the credit, but we were kind of so fun. We were kind of going back and forth and and trying to brainstorm a name for her and for this character. And so it's worked really, really well for that child. So you might want to think about that if you have kids of that age, using a character of some sort who really is sort of in their heads, the consultant, you know, it's like when we think about us having a relationship with ourselves, we all have a Frida fuel, right? Like we all can ask Frida, Hey, Frida, do I really need more food? <laughs> you know, and, and access her to find out what we should be doing next. So keep that in mind. So, you know, a lot of us grew up eating anything and everything, right? And I want to just mention that I think you should challenge that belief a little bit that kids should be eating Cheetos and Doritos and having desserts in their lunch all the time. We often look to how we were raised and think that that's the normal way, but it could be that your parents just served you a ton of that stuff and that you really don't have to eat all of that. Like it's not set in stone a fact that kids need to eat this way. Not everybody did, right? But I want, if your kids are taking a bunch of stuff to lunch that is very refined, I want you to really think about that. Like how can you help them to eat better food and you know, you're really just setting them up for success, right? We want them to like vegetables. (laughs) So let's prepare them in ways that taste really good so that they will eat them, you know, let them have a whole bunch of dip or ranch dressing or something with their veggies for lunch at school, setting them up for success so that they don't end up with those weight issues later. So I want you to really think about that. A lot of people say, but the kids are eating all this other stuff. They're eating mac and cheese. They're eating pancakes and French toast and all this other stuff. And then I have to create another meal for myself. I strongly encourage you to not do that, okay? And the reason being is just because your kids are used to that doesn't mean that they need to continue eating that. Sure, they like it. Who doesn't? That's totally fine. Of course they like it. But what you can do is start subbing in some of these other meals. And remember, like we said, you don't need very many that the kids like that are not so heavy in flour and sugar that are on your plan as well, either fully or with some minor adaptations, and then prepare those over and over again. And then before you know it, they are not even asking for mac and cheese very often anymore. Or you make mac and cheese when you're going out that night and you're not eating at home anyway or something like that, right? So that's something I want you to really think about, just questioning all those beliefs that you have. Now, I do want to mention, right, can we control whether or not they'll have weight issues as older teens or as adults? Of course not. We just can make the best decisions we can and hope for the best, ultimately. We control what food 
we offer at home and which restaurants we eat at as a family and the rest is up to them. So as any of you who have older kids know, as they get older, they make more decisions for themselves a lot more, right? They go out with their friends or they're eating wherever places where you're not there and they'll eat and drink whatever they want. And I want you to make sure you're not making that into a really big deal. I had a family where their daughter definitely had some weight issues and you know, the daughter was upset about it. I mean, she did want to be thin, but I think the mom also was more upset about it for her. Not, I mean, she was concerned about her just being healthy and stuff, but I think she was more concerned about the emotional impact that her daughter was going to be bullied or was going to be feeling so miserable. And I am not saying that you shouldn't be concerned about that at all. But I want to make sure that you don't make it their problem, your problem, in the sense that you want to focus on helping them to work through it. And with this child, what needed to happen was, you know, she needed to really revamp her eating habits, especially when she was out with her friends. She was just not understanding that, you know, eating a huge frappuccino and a donut was going to be a problem, right? Even though she knew she was supposed to be making healthier choices, it just somehow wasn't clicking with her. And I think also, as so many of us did, remember this when we were teens, like we want to look like the people who look like waifs. Remember Kate Moss? She was like the big model when I was growing up. And that whole waif look, I mean, I could literally be absolutely emaciated and I would not be that small. Like I just wouldn't. And as a teen, when you want to look like what is the vision of attractiveness at that time, you end up really wanting that and making yourself feel bad. So of course, as parents, we're going to talk through that with them. We're going to help them to really learn to love themselves and all of that. But I just want to point out that you don't want to make it more about you and how you feel about your child than about them. So of course you don't go into I told you mode and make your kid feel even worse, but you can definitely do your own research and figure out what the best way is to help your child for whatever needs to be done. But you don't want to feed into it too much. You know, like if the, like I said, if the body habitus is taller and broader, more muscular, they're going to be bigger. And I remember at some point, I think it was maybe late high school where I finally just decided, you know what, I'm going to stop expecting my body to be something it's not. And, you know, by then I was fully grown and it was pretty evident that I was never going to look like Kate Moss. And I finally, and I'm sure I just had more maturity too, but I finally got to a point where I decided that's it. I'm going to stop expecting my body to look different. Of course, I still wanted to be thin, but I was thinking, okay, it's okay if you don't wear every single trend item, if it really is not very flattering for your body type. And so we can help our kids to learn that as well. We really want to help them develop love for themselves and help them learn to love their bodies and not spend an excessive amount of time comparing bodies, which of course they will do, right? Because it's normal. But we also don't need to spend time comparing ourselves to other bodies where they see us comparing ourselves, whether we're saying it or just showing it with the looks on our faces or how we frump at ourselves when we're getting dressed, right? They pick up on all of that. So many moms will say too, like, I don't want my kids having disordered thinking about food. And what I want to offer to you is that the best thing you can do for your kids is to show them how to be an adult who not only knows how to control themselves, 
but who also takes responsibility for everything that happens to them in their lives. That means not blaming other people for anything, not acting like a victim. And I'll definitely delve into blame and victim mentality in another podcast in the future, but I'll just touch on it just a little bit here. When you blame other people for your results, you are unfortunately very confused, okay? (laughs) You create all your own results with your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions. When you believe that other people's actions create your results, that you are at the effect of them, they are the cause and you are the effect, you're completely disempowering yourself. It's the same as when you think you're the victim or at the mercy of someone else. Think of patience, right? You're giving all your power to the other person. So if they don't do what you want them to do, you're powerless to think or believe anything else or to feel any other way. So one of the best and most important lessons you can teach your children is that nobody can make them feel anything. So follow me on this, right? You guys, where do your feelings come from? Your feelings come from your thoughts. Your thoughts create your feelings. Remember that thought model. So when we talk to our children as Joey, you hurt Susie's feelings. We are helping our children to learn something, basically a framework, a structure that is false. We're saying, hey, look, Joey, you have the ability and the power to make someone feel something. And you're telling Susie, you're the victim. You have to feel the way you're feeling because Joey did that and that hurt your feelings. But nobody hurt Susie's feelings. The reason Susie's feelings are hurt is because of her own thinking about what Joey did. So say Joey pushed her then Susie could look at it like Joey has a lot of problems. He's still really learning how to control himself and control his body. I didn't like being pushed, but it's okay. I'm fine. Or Susie can go into total victim mode. Joey always pushes me. It's he's so mean. I need to go tell the teacher, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like getting all into that self-pity mode. And so because we were raised with this idea, thinking other people can hurt our feelings We pass that on to our kids, which is just not true. It's just not how it is. So really watch what you're saying with that. And even talk, you know, within your family, you might be saying, you know, your kids or whoever is hurting each other's feelings. You know, what you could say, if your child says to you, you hurt my feelings, you can say, you know, I'm really sorry that what I did made you think. Well, you shouldn't even say it that way, honestly, because you can't ever make anybody think anything. But you could just say that you're in charge of what your thinking is, and that hurts your feelings. I see what you're saying. Maybe I shouldn't have done that, and I apologize for that. But I want you to know that it's always a choice how you think about anything, and you can create whatever feeling you want at any time. Now, with a three-year-old, this isn't going to work, right? <laughs> but as they get older... For sure, you can start talking about this with them. And, you know, the really the best way to show it, though, is by just no longer talking about people hurting each other's feelings. Just erase that from your vocabulary and from your way of thinking about things. And you'll find that as you start talking about it, like I'm in charge of my own thinking, that person did that, I can decide to think about it however I want. That will be such a great model to your kids for them to learn from you how to approach that when somebody does something that they don't like. 
Now, another thing that moms worry about a lot is whether something they do or don't do will make their child develop an eating disorder in the future. So this is a sensitive subject, right? Because none of us want our kids to end up with anorexia or bulimia or something like that. But what I want to offer to you is that when we think that we have that kind of control over somebody else, like whether they develop an eating disorder or not, we are also very misdirected and confused, okay? The truth is that kids who develop eating disorders don't have just one type of mom who's the reason they have the eating disorder, okay? Eating disorders aren't about food. They're about control and they're about self-loathing. So if you want to help your child not have an eating disorder, work on being a good role model by learning to control yourself, but from a loving place and learn how to truly love yourself, right? So you're not berating yourself into controlling yourself, right? You're not beating yourself up into controlling yourself. You're doing the most loving thing for you, which is controlling yourself. And we all know that kids are watching our every move. And what better example to have than a mom who doesn't struggle with food or weight and who loves herself unconditionally, right? That's where we're showing our kids, this is the way that you adult, in quotes, right? (laughs) It's so interesting how we try to control other people so we can feel better. We say, I can't eat that way because my daughter might misinterpret it and develop an eating disorder. So I had an issue with this where for a certain period of time, I was doing some weighing of my food, not so much to restrict it, but to make sure I was getting enough. So for instance, I was trying to eat more vegetables. And so I was weighing the vegetables I ate to make sure I got enough in for the day. And I'm telling you what, I seriously (laughs) talk about like our brains just freaking us out. It's so funny to me how our brains are like, for sure, you're going to die if you weigh your vegetables. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. But seriously, my brain was like, my daughter's going to grow up watching her mother weighing her food. And for sure, she's going to turn that into an eating disorder. And I really had to work through that, right? Because I knew that that was going to be a way for me to make sure I got the nutrients that I needed. So what I decided to do was rather than making it about I can't control myself, you know, and so the scale helps me to control myself. Instead, I decided, you know, the scale helps me to make sure I eat just the right amount of food that my body needs. And so, you know, we could tell our kids, but you should listen to Frida Fuel because she's the best way for kids to eat just the right amount of food. So it's, you know, the totally just the way that we decide to bring it up. Now, my daughter is really young. She's almost four. She doesn't pay any attention. But my oldest definitely was like, why are you weighing things? And I was just saying, like, this is just a way for me to really help myself and not like, oh, you know me, I like to overeat all the time. So the scale is the only way I can control myself, right? Like you don't have to say it like that. You can just say it like, oh, this is just such a nice way for me to take care of myself. But you have a different way. And kids really understand that things are different for adults. We get to drink alcohol if we choose to. We eat certain foods that they don't. We get to do certain things, watch certain movies and TV and things like that that they don't get to do. We get to drive cars and they don't get to. Like that is pretty substantial in their evaluation of the world that kids get to do certain things and adults don't. And so I think if you phrase it that way, your kids are totally going to get it. 
So I want you to really recognize the stories that you tell yourself about why you can't do certain things and just blame it on your kids, right? And like I said, that's just your primitive brain trying to make you worried and concerned and confused so that you don't have to take any action. So recognize it for what it is and use your rational brain, your prefrontal cortex to move past that. So for sure, it's a great idea to learn to accept the fact that you'll make mistakes as a parent, right? There's no way you'll do everything right. And we all agree to this. We all intellectually know this. But we try so hard to prevent any screw-ups that we often make it actually worse. We're trying to control everyone and all the situations, and we're driving them all crazy in the process. We can also recognize that we're going to royally screw up a bunch of things, but we're human and we're doing the best we can. We can work to love our children unconditionally, meaning without condition, and really doing that, not just saying we do. We can believe that they have their own life's journey that is totally separate from ours, and that's exactly how it's supposed to be. They are not little mini versions of us. And you guys, seriously, was such a hard thing for me to work through as a new parent really thinking, well, I love this as a child. Why doesn't he love that? And, you know, the way I read about this description somewhere along the way, I unfortunately can't credit uh, whoever the person is who came up with this because I can't remember. But I had read something once about how, you know, children are not little saplings of us. If you think about us as trees, right? Like it's not like there's some little branch that becomes our child. Instead, we have a child and they are like a little seed. And we don't know what kind of bush or tree is going to come out of that, right? Like they're just some sort of seed. And so our job is to water the seed and keep it warm and plant it in the ground and give it lots of nutrients and sunshine and encourage it to grow. And as it's growing, we might realize that this plant is turning into a magnificent giant oak tree, or honestly, it might be a pricker bush, right? It might not be your favorite plant, and that's okay, right? We don't get to decide which seed they are when they're born. Our job is to help them become the best version of the oak tree or the pricker bush that they can be, right? So you can take that metaphor however you like, but I like to think of it as they're their own species, you know, their own kind of or genus or whatever of kind of plants. And it's my job to help them to have what they need, healthy food, enough sleep, a good education, shelter, love, and that will result whatever it results in. And I'm kind of irrelevant. You know, my interests and likes and what my life was like may not have any bearing on who they turn out to be. So I do want to very briefly, because this is turning into a long podcast, talk a little bit more specifically about the food I feed my family. And I am pretty reluctant to tell you guys this, honestly, just because I don't want you thinking that the way we eat is the way you should eat. 
but I'm going to tell you a little bit more because I get a lot of questions about this. And I think that some of you are allowing yourself to sit in confusion about that, feeling like you just don't know enough about the food and what it means to constrain and simplify the meals. So I decided to kind of do a quick rundown for you about really the basics of what we eat for the most part and see if you can kind of extrapolate things from that for yourself. Now, if you get some ideas for me, that's totally fine. Of course, you can rip off whatever works for you and your family. That's completely fine. But I do want to just mention that I this is by no means me saying this is what you should eat. Okay. You know, my family's vegetarian. You might eat meat. You might be paleo. You might be vegan, gluten-free, dairy-free, whatever it is. You can modify all of this or pull recipes that your family loves to create that. Okay. So I did get one email asking if I thought a low carb, high fat diet was okay for kids. Lots of fat is great for kids because it really fills them up and it gives them really even energy without needing snacks all the time, which is what we want, right? And I think it's fine for parents to do low carb, high fat with a modification that the kids then get more carbs. And those can be through more whole grains and beans and lentils and starchy vegetables at home. And of course, they'll get more carbs with birthday treats at school and cookies with grandparents and ice cream and all that. Because of that, you can go lower carb at home if you want to. Okay. Now, if your child is insulin resistant, then they really do need to go lower carb and be stricter, but you should definitely follow the advice of your pediatrician or your child's endocrinologist before you make any major changes with that. And just as a quick little reminder, like I said in last week's podcast, I'm a pediatrician, but I'm not your pediatrician. So keep that in mind. Okay. So I told you guys we eat very simply and you're going to hear about it. It's extremely simple few dishes, easy cleanup, and usually leftovers. Depends how ravenous my kids are. So we do a lot of roasted vegetables because it's a great way to get in some fats. It's very typically easy to prepare. You just put it in the oven and let it go and you can work on other things. So the veggies that we roast on a regular basis are zucchini, broccoli, which is divine, asparagus, sweet potatoes, and white potatoes with the skin on, cubed butternut squash. Okay, so tons of oil. What I typically do is prepare it, put it on parchment paper because it's easier to clean up on a baking sheet and put that on there, drizzle a bunch of olive oil over it and some on my hands, toss it all around and then put plenty of salt on there. I'm a salt fan. If you have high blood pressure, definitely consult your doctor about that. Other vegetables that a lot of people love roasted that I just personally am not a fan of beets, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, things like that. So those are great. They just are not something that my family particularly enjoys. Another way that we eat our veggies is sauteed. So mostly we do mushrooms and zucchini this way. My kids really won't eat zucchini. If I make it, I make it just for me and my husband. But four out of the five of us love these mushrooms. So I put a bunch of oil or butter in the pan slight like kind of thick slices of mushrooms, put them in the pan with some salt. And I just sprinkle on this herb mix that we really love. If you don't know Penzi's spices, then you might be interested in looking into that. The, the There are two spice blends that we love. One is called Mural of Flavor. I know it's a funny name, but it's like a salt-free herb mix that tastes delicious. And the other one is Tuscan Sunset. So we really love Mural of Flavor on mushrooms and zucchini. So what I do then is I 
sprinkle some of that seasoning on there, toss it all around and let it cook down. I personally don't like really like wet, soggy mushrooms. So I let them cook down until they're kind of browning up and they're pretty dry. Another thing I make just for myself is I'll often saute up some onions and then put in some kale or spinach with just some salt and plenty of butter or olive oil. And it tastes delicious. It's totally great. And you get some iron too. So we do a ton of cut up veggies with hummus or ranch dressing for the kids. And you could definitely also use like an onion dip or some sort of fatty bean dip or any kind of dip that they like that has a lot of fat and no sugar or flour. I don't do a ton of salads with them. They do like salad, but I don't do a ton of them because what we typically do is cut up all these veggies and then whatever is left over, we put in their lunches the next day for packing and eating at lunch at school. So think about that. If you're cutting things up or preparing things, washing some grape tomatoes or chopping up peppers or things like that, like do an extra pepper. And that way, if they're still hungry, they can eat more veggies. And if not, then you can pack that away for lunches later or for you too. You can take them too. And we definitely do frittatas, which are super easy. We do scrambled eggs. We do a very simple tofu scramble. We do taco beans. And I'll explain to you what taco beans are. So when we went vegetarian about six and a half years ago, we had loved tacos before that. And so I decided to try making tacos with not refried beans, but actual beans with taco seasoning. So I basically just open up cans of black beans is usually what we use, but you can also use pinto or sometimes I'll even throw in a can of kidney beans too. Just drain them, rinse them, put them in the pan, start the pan up, sprinkle taco seasoning. I also get my taco seasoning from Penzi's. Penzi's, I have to say, is their main headquarters is located in my town in Wisconsin. So there's stores all over the place and you can order online. But I think that's probably why I'm more into it is just because it's a local company, but they're amazing. They're the business itself is such a great business run by great people. I don't know them, but they just are a really good business. And so I like supporting them and their product is great. So I sprinkle on the taco seasoning and just add water until I can sort of mix it all around. And then I just simmer it down like you would with regular, um, you know, tacos, taco meat. So it tastes delicious. We love it. I mean, literally the kids, if they ate it two or three times a week, they'd be so happy. And then also I'll oftentimes just open up some white beans, any kind of white bean, like cannellini beans, dump out some of the water, like the liquidy stuff and put the rest in with the rest of the liquid in a pan, sprinkle on some Mural flavor or Tuscan sunset and salt, stir it together, simmer it for maybe three minutes just to let the herbs and stuff kind of soften up and then use a slotted spoon and serve that in a bowl. And I'll sometimes even offer to drizzle a little olive oil on it, which sometimes the kids like, and sometimes they prefer not to not have it. I think it tastes delicious with it or without, or we'll do hard boiled eggs too. Not all the kids like those. I do, but not all of them do. So another thing we do is I make some soups in the instant pot and almost all of them I make in there. The one exception is my butternut squash soup that I make because I roast the squash. So that goes in the oven and then the blender, but what I did was I took regular recipes that we made all the time and I just adapted them for the Instant Pot, which is super easy because I could just look up whatever the longest cooking ingredient is and then cook it accordingly. So for instance, I make this chickpea and brown rice soup that my family loves. I know that brown rice takes 22 minutes at high pressure. So I put everything in the pan, started up on the saute setting and then just 
cook it at high pressure on manual for 22 minutes. I make a French lentil soup and then a corn and potato chowder too that they love. But like that's it in the butternut squash soup. So there's pretty much four soups in heavy rotation. And a lot of them, like I haven't made that lentil soup in quite some time. So sometimes I'm really not making (laughs) things all the time. There's another recipe that my kids love that we kind of do for more like special occasions. And it's a nut dip or a nut pate you could call it, um, that's made out of fresh basil and different nuts and red pepper, lemon juice, garlic, salt, and pepper. And we eat it with veggies and the kids will have it with veggies or some bread too. The name of it is Rawsome Nut Dip. So like raw and awesome, Rawsome Nut Dip. I'm going to put the link to the recipe in the show notes. So if you want to find that, go to katrinaubellmd.com forward slash 21. And I'll just tell you who I'm crediting it to. It's to Plant Powered Kitchen, which is a blog by Adrena Burton, who is a vegan blogger who has a number of cookbooks. It's delicious and comes together super quickly in the food processor. So then you guys know about my ridiculous artisanal beans (laughs) that I mentioned on a previous podcast. But I had a few people ask, like, what are those beans? The name of the company is Rancho Gordo. And you can find them at ranchogordo.com. And I cook those in the Instant Pot. And I basically, you know, drain off the liquid, sprinkle liberally with garlic salt from Penzi's and serve it with brown rice with olive oil and or butter and some salt or a starchy vegetable and some other vegetables too. Very simple. I also make a baked tofu recipe that is super, super simple. I basically just toss it in. I cut it up, cut up the extra firm tofu and then mix together a little balsamic vinegar and soy sauce, basically coat it in that and bake, flip it over halfway and then serve with rice or starchy veggies and some other veggies. So seriously, so quick and easy. And then I have a couple staples from Trader Joe's that I really like to keep on hand. I always, almost always, unless I've really eaten everything down, keep this in the fridge to make sure that we always have something, right? Because what happens, I'm sure you guys can relate is right. Like you end up being late, something happens, you just end up not having time to really make anything. So then it's so easy to think, well, let's just eat out. Let's just order pizza, something easy. If you have a couple things that are easy, if you always have some canned beans in your pantry, if you always have some of these things that I'm talking about, for you, it might be something totally different. Then you never have that story of like, I don't have anything. You always do. So the first thing is that Trader Joe's has a baked teriyaki tofu that's already in the package. So it's already cooked and already seasoned. My kids adore it. It is really good. I like just cubing it up and warming it slightly in the microwave and putting it on a salad with some dressing. It's very good. They also have like a sriracha one. I don't typically buy that because it's too spicy for my kids, but the teriyaki one is great. And then they also have some prepackaged lentils. So they're pre-seasoned and pre-cooked. You'll find those in the produce section, which is kind of strange, but they have some other pre-cooked I think it's black eyed peas or things like that. And it's usually right there. With that, you take it out of the package, you poke three little holes in it, microwave it for three minutes, take it out, dump it into a bowl, use a little fork to break it up, liberally douse it with olive oil and some garlic salt from Penzi's, stir it all around. And I'm not joking. My kids think it is the best thing ever. <laughs> and it is, I mean, I think it's delicious, right? So I put, I put it on a salad. I eat it plain. And it's so easy when you're like, oh, I just need something right now. Now, if you're eating super low carb, a lot of these options aren't going to work for you. The tofu might, but not the lentils and beans probably too often. But if you aren't and you're just really working on getting rid of 
flour and sugar, then these might be great options for you. We want to keep it super, super, super simple, you guys. Okay. It does not need to be complicated. And if you need more fat, you can eat nuts, you can eat peanut butter, you can eat some extra cheese. There's so many different things that you can do. And you want to make sure if you're doing meats that you're looking for fattier cuts of meat. So instead of doing your chicken breasts, buy boneless, skinless chicken thighs, do fattier cuts of fish. If you're buying ground beef, get, I think it's the chuck is the higher fat version and then leave the juices or whatever in there. Cause you want that extra fat in there to make it really fill you up. Okay. So, so this turned into a long podcast for a lot of you. This is going to be on your way to work and from work <laughs> this time. So sorry about that. But you know, it was so cute. One gal emailed me and said, I think it's time for you to start doing two podcasts a week. So here you go. You've got, you can divide this one up and it'll last you the whole week or at least one whole drive probably. All right. We made it. The podcast is over. I can go pick up my kids. All right, you guys have a wonderful, wonderful week. And I'll talk to you very soon. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on Weight Loss for Busy Physicians. Now, take the next step and go to KatrinaUbellMD.com to download just what you need. Join us again next week for more support to keep you in control and on the path to freedom around food.